Now we're going to read from God's Word. We're reading in the book of Genesis. Uh, Tonight we're reading Genesis chapter 10. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ra'amah, and Sabtaka. And the sons of Ra'amah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kalah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah, that is, the principal city. Mizraim begot Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtahim, Pathrasim, and Kazlahim, from whom came the Philistines, and Kaphtarim, Canaan, begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Avadite, the Zemarite, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed, and the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza, then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. The children were born also to Shem, and children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hol, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxad begot Salah, and Salah begot Eber. And Eber, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Almadad, Sheleph, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place was from Misha, as you go toward Sephar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations 
in their nations, and from these nations were divided the earth after the flood. The word of the Lord. The passage that we're looking at tonight records a new era in humanity. You've got these three sons of Noah, and from these three sons, all of the nations of the earth will emerge. Now, at first glance, this text looks like just a a genealogy. Lists of names of ancestors and their descendants. But when you look more closely, the passage is not attempting to present a full lineage. Not so much a lineage, but rather its focus is to present lands and languages and peoples and nations. You could sum up this passage like this. Noah is the father of all the nations. Noah is the father of all the nations. And so we'll look at three things tonight. First of all, we will look at how the world became diverse. How the world became diverse. And then secondly, how the world became divided. How the world became diverse, how the world became divided. And then thirdly, what reunites our divisions. Well, let's start with how the world became diverse. Verse 1, Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Neither of any of them are popular today as names for children. But these were the three sons, and sons were born to them after the flood. And so we start with this one family, one family, the three sons of Noah, and the text lists descendants, some of the descendants, from each son. You've got the descendants from Japheth, verses 2 through 5, and then the descendants from Ham, 6 through 20, and then the descendants from Shem, verses 21 through 31. Verse 2, Japheth, that's, that's Noah's middle son. Japheth has seven sons. The genealogy here highlights only two of those seven sons, Gomer, verse 3, Javan, verse 4. Why only these two? Was it that the other ones had no children? It's not likely. But from these two sons, the peoples and the nations who would eventually populate the Mediterranean region It's from those two sons that the Mediterranean nations and peoples develop. These names seem to map to today's coastal Turkey, today's Crete, today's coastal Greece, and even Italy, and maybe even Spain. From those two sons, those peoples and nations seem to uh, emerge. Then verse 5, it says something like that. From these, these two sons, the coastland people of the Gentiles were separated into their lands. Everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, the other sons of Japheth, they spread to lands, uh, not so much to the west, but more to the north, uh, the modern nations of Turkey, the modern nations of Armenia, and the region of Georgia. So towards the north and even the northeast. And so some of the peoples there and the nations that's where they came from, from, from this son, Japheth. And from Japheth, these, these ancient nations in the north, ancient, ancient nations in the west, in the Mediterranean, that is the beginning. There were no nations there. There were no other peoples. Now, verses 6 through 20, you've got Noah's youngest son, Ham. He has sons. Four of them are listed. And his genealogy traces the development of people and nations in the land of Canaan. 
and, and what would be the land of Israel. So kind of in the center of, of the map at that time. Some of the people and the nations listed there are in the region of Palestine. Others form people and nations, a few of them down in the Persian Gulf, some down in Egypt. So Japheth fathers nations that are to the west and to the north. Ham fathers nations that are central and somewhat to the south. Then, verses 21 through 31, we've got nations and people from the eldest son, from Shem. From Shem, you have peoples and nations that are more to the east and, and somewhat to the north. It's, they're, they're the peoples and the nations that are in today's Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And you can see that these genealogies that are listed here, just in this chapter, they appear to be selective, focused not on lineage, but on nations and people. And, and some of them will be highlighted as we, as we look uh, ahead tonight. And the focus is on where the peoples and where the countries come from. Not so much on, well, who, who is George's great-great-aunt? And, and who was, who was um, Eleanor's great-great-niece? It's more focusing on the peoples, the nations that emerged from this one first family. And so look at how for each genealogy, for each of these three sons, how each one of them, their little genealogy ends, not with a son, but with a state. Verse 5, from these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. And then with Japheth, these are lands, uh, languages, families, clans, nations. It's the same for the other two sons, though. The conclusion of Ham's genealogy. It's not a son. That, that, that You chain down to this list of grandfathers and great-grandfathers, and you come down to the, the father and the son. But the, the conclusion are, again, states and nations. So Genesis 10.20, these were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. And some of the names that are listed there, they don't seem to be people names. They seem to be people's Names, Not the name of a person, but a name of a clan, a tribe, a people that would emerge, even a nation. Verse 31, the same thing for this third, the oldest son, the third one listed here, Shem. You've got the same language formula, a nation formula for the sons of Shem. And then you take this whole chapter and the very last verse, after it's gone through all of these genealogies of these three sons, verse 32 sums up the point of this particular genealogy text. Genesis 10.32 these were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. And so as you look at this and, and you think, okay, I, I get it. I, I see what, what the, the writer is doing here. And okay, so we have all these nations that come from Noah. And, and you, maybe you'll ask this. Well, is, is the text presenting this positively? Is it presenting this negatively? Is this a good thing? Is, is the creation of many nations a good thing? Well, here, here's something to, to bring to consider that question. Recall earlier that both with Adam and also then again with, with Noah, God commanded people to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. Because God had made the earth, or with Noah, he had, he had cleansed the earth, and God wants his image bearers, to populate his creation, to populate the earth, to bring his image to all parts of creation. And so we see something positive 
about the spread of humanity into lands and into different nations. It's something of the fulfillment of of the creation command that God gave to Adam and that God renewed and, and gave as a humanity mandate to Noah. And that mandate for humanity to spread and to fill the earth, that has God's blessing. You recall just a chapter earlier, after the flood, Genesis 9-1, God has saved Noah, saved his family from the destroying flood, and then it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The blessing, the filling of the earth, that's God's good. That's what God wants. And so we see the spread of the peoples and the nations. It's part, it's part of this divine blessing. And Genesis 9 Verse 7, God kind of confirms this. God says to Noah in this charter for humanity, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then Genesis 9, 19, these three, the sons of Noah, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And so you see God's favor as humans spread and populated the lands across the whole planet. And this is confirmed in the New Testament, Acts 17, 26. It says, and God, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And God has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so that, that, that verse in Acts kind of wraps up and then starts to crystallize some of how we as Christians view the existence of nations. How did we get to the place in this world today of having nearly 200 nations in the world? Well, what we hear from from Acts 17 is that well, God made the nations. God made from one blood, from, from Adam, from Noah, He made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. God made the nations. It, it didn't just happen in some sort of anthropological evolutionary process, not some just geography of of human spread. It wasn't just anthropology and geography working out, people migrating and marrying and mixing and developing new peoples and cultures. It says that God established every nation on the face of the earth. God determined the borders that form. God is behind the formation of nations, every nation. And, And Job reveals that it's the Lord God, ultimately, that causes a nation to rise. And he also reveals that it's the Lord God who ultimately causes a nation to fall. Job twelve thirty one, He, God, the Lord, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. And so, are you someone who, who tends to worry about politics what's going on with countries and, and, and how it's going to turn out and how it will affect your country and how will this country be affected and how will that country affect your country? Do, do you worry about the news? Are you the kind of person that worries maybe about not the country or the international news? Do you worry about your own people? Do you worry about your own community and, and you hear things that are going on? At a deep level, you have to surrender all of that to God. God is the one who will make nations great. And God is also the one who will make nations dust. The Lord God, omnipotent, reigns, it says in Revelation 19. And some of that means that even at the smallest level, 
your own family, your own family stress, whatever's going on with your family, or your, your own group where you live, maybe with um, other people in the same home. You worry about your people, your fears that you have about your children, your friends. You've got to, you've got to come again to this, this plain declaration. God is working out his goodwill. Proverbs 21 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. And so maybe for your situation, do you have someone in your situation, in your family, someone who you, you could say, they are, I have a chaos actor. They're this agent of chaos in my life. Someone who seems to be driving the bus that you're riding in and your, your loved ones are riding in, they seem to be driving the bus and they're driving the bus off the cliff. God can override and God can overrule the most highly placed human power in your life. It could be a king, it could just be a supervisor, it could be a husband. Look at how God molded the will and the disposition of emperors, world leaders. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God softened Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And so that means for your situation, your chaos is not out of control. It means that you don't ultimately wrestle with flesh and blood. It means God in his heaven is working powerfully for you in the unseen realm. And so you can cry to him. You can, you can cast your cares on him, believer, because he does care for you. Now we've looked at how the world became diverse, the, the origin of, of many nations. Now let's look at how the world became divided. You've got these different nations, but they're not at peace with one another. The division and the scattering of the nations the text makes plain the wrongness, not of the diversity, not the, the, the existence of the nations. The text makes plain the wrongness of divisions, divisions among people. Divisions ought not to exist. Why? Well, one of the points of this passage is to tell us, tell us all, all of us come from one father. We all descend from Noah. We all come from one father. Noah. Verse 1, this is the account of Noah's sons. And then that's the first verse, the very last verse, verse 32. These were the families of the sons of Noah, divided on the earth after the flood. The first, the last verses of this, this account state that Noah is our one father. But everything between those two verses speaks of the divisions and the separations that are to come that developed. Now, the original hearers of this text, uh, he, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible that we call them the Pentateuch. The original hearers and the readers were Israelites. And they were, they were the people of Israel at the time when they were a baby nation. They were a new nation. And this new nation had formed by their exodus from an enemy nation. They were a new nation. They, they came out from an, an enemy nation. That was Egypt. And, and they were heading, this new nation, Israel, they were heading and facing an engagement with another enemy nation, Canaan. You've got the hearers, Israel, and enemies on both sides. Egypt, as they came out, Canaan, as they went in. And all through this genealogy, chapter 10, among the sons of Noah, those two enemy peoples appear in this chapter. Verse 13, Mizraim, that's Egypt. Verses 15 through 18, those are the enemy peoples of Canaan. 
And so among all the names and the nations, what you have listed here in chapter 10 in the genealogies of the sons of Noah, you have future enemy peoples and future enemy nations who will come. They're also listed Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians. And, and so that's, that's part of the focus of this text. You, you look at this one hero that's pulled out and highlighted here, Nimrod, verses 8 through 12. Nimrod, it says, is the first mighty hunter on the earth. And, and then he's not just a mighty hunter. He becomes this, this heroic figure, this father of, of great cities and, and peoples. And, and so you think, this guy... He's, he's powerful. He's, he's established so many things. It would be like there was someone who was a great hunter. Uh, he, was, he was a great business tycoon. tycoon and, and he also founded the city of New York City and Detroit and Chicago and Los Angeles. You think, wow, what a guy. But what we see here is they will become enemies of Israel. Assyria, Babylon, Philistia. And so there's something painful about how the text highlights the, the, the divisions that are to come. The only other individual that's highlighted in this chapter, verse 25, Peleg. Now, why was he noted? Well, just for one thing. Because in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. His name means divided. And when he lived, when he was born, the earth was divided. And so, so here's what's running under the surface of this chapter. Because all humanity shares one father, Noah, we should be united. Every year should be the the potential for this great big family reunion. And who's in that family reunion? Everyone on the planet. We all come from one father. But instead, here's what's running underneath it. Instead, from this one father, we're divided. Sons and grandsons, they'll become enemy nations who quarrel, who capture who kill and mistreat one another. And, and the text repeats terms like scattered, divided, separated, all, all throughout this chapter. And, and that all has negative connotations. You don't want to be scattered. You don't want to be divided from one another, from, from your, your brothers, from your cousins. You don't want to be separated. People are being separated from one another, geographically separated, the lands, the borders, linguistically separated, the, the languages are noted, relationally separated. They're at odds. There's enmity. There are family feuds that just chain down through generations among the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons listed here. This is all negative. And, and, and isn't this something that all of us want to work against? Isn't this why just out in the world, businesses, they hire mediators to help two parties that are divided try to negotiate and, and settle the differences they have? And, and isn't this why nations will convene summits. You've got the United Nations seeking diplomatic solutions to divisions and, and to try to work out disputes between different nations. And, and what we find that we're living in, in this life, the person, you've got a person in your life who, who's now an enemy. Something happened and, and now you've got an enemy. Or, or you've got a nation and, and you don't view them as a friendly nation. You, you have... Uh, maybe a few nations in your mind which are now nemesis. The divisions in the world, they bring troubles. And, and we're not just talking about it at a geopolitical level. And we're not just talking at, at a local level. We're also talking about our personal relationships, aren't we? Jesus speaks to this. Matthew twelve twenty five. Jesus says, Every kingdom divided against itself 
is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And what we see here is that the sons of Noah's sons, they divide against one another. And so that's what we're living in now as, as the great, 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 great descendants of the sons of Noah. Whether, whether it's a husband who will not stop attacking his wife or whether it's two church members who just, they can't stand each other. They can't be in the room with one another. We know that division. We know that enmity. It should not be. Now, we've looked at how the world became diverse. We've looked at how the world became divided. Now, let's, let's look at what reunites our divisions. What will bring the blessing of the Lord on the sons of Noah? What will bring the reunion of the nations, the reunion of the sons of Noah? What will bring unity and healing to divided families? What will end clan wars and family feuds? Well, you need to take this chapter and you need to see how this this fits into the entire Bible. This passage is the beginning of one of the great themes that develops all through Scripture. And, And that theme is the healing of the nations, the reunion of the nations. And bound in that is the reunion of our our homes. Our text recounts, it's almost the birth of the nations. In in many Bible references uh, that you look at, this this chapter will be called the table of the nations. It's like the census, the first census, where they were counting the countries. Next week, we'll look at the decisive, the scattering. This is the the, uh, formation of the nations. Next week, we'll look more at the decisive scattering of the nations and, and their alienation from one another. But then from here, a few chapters later, we start to get a hint as this theme develops in the Bible. We get a hint of how is the Lord going to bring the nations of the world back together? They just seem to be drifting apart. Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, just one nation, God selects him to become father of a nation, but... And it's almost just as a little tangential sub-promise. God promises to make Abraham and his people, his nation, a source of divine good for all of the nations, all the divided peoples. Genesis 12, 3, he says to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then Genesis 22, 18, in your offspring All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then from Abraham, as you start working through the Bible, you see this theme working out. You see the story of of God's dealings with with just his nation, his people, and, and you see them getting both rising and falling. You see Assyria, one of these sons, one of these descendants of 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 Noah. You see Assyria coming in, and, and they trample Israel, and they capture Israel. And then another one of the sons, descending nations of, of Noah come. Babylon. Assyria comes, and then Babylon comes and tramples and captures Israel. And, and in their darkest national moment, God reveals secrets from his, his plan that is unfolding, even as it seems like everything is burning out. Not only will God save his own people, Israel, from the enemy nations, God is still going to bring all of the nations, all of the sons of Noah, into his nation. God is working a reunion of the nations of the long-divided sons of Noah. Isaiah 2, starting at verse 2. The Lord says, 
Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. So you've got God's, God's nation and his mountain established. And then he says, and all nations shall flow into it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, that's, that's, that's the, the capital of God's nation, Israel, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so you've got this picture of peace. You've got this picture of the nations of the earth all coming to the Lord, flowing into the place and the peace of the Lord. Then it's repeated again, Isaiah 56, verse 6. And the Lord says also, the sons of the foreigner, people who are, who are from other nations, people from the other sons of Noah, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. And the vision that he's presenting here is this. All of the sons of Noah, all the nations coming into the house of God. Enemy nations now subdued and and won over. They're now all allies. They come to worship God, and his house is called a house of prayer for all nations. And isn't that exactly the zeal that Jesus had in the temple? When Jesus comes, that's his zeal, that the scattered nations would be gathered in. Now, how is that going to happen? How will the divided nations become reunited? It's through the gospel. The gospel is, 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 the, is the, the, the climax of this theme of the divided nations coming back together. In the gospel, Jesus himself is divided from his homeland, from his heavenly land, and he goes, he leaves it, and he goes to a distant land. It's as if he's scattered from his home country. And in that foreign country, in that land, Jesus there is captured He's subjugated and he's slaughtered. Jesus endures the ultimate division from his people in, in two ways. He, he, he endures the ultimate division in terms of his, his divinity. He is the holy son of God, but he becomes man. And, and it's not just in terms of his divinity that he gets divided, as if divided from the nations being divided. In terms of his holiness also, he becomes divided. The holy son of God, he becomes unholy. He becomes sin. It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so on the cross, what you see with Jesus, it's the ultimate separation. On the cross, Jesus embraced the ultimate division from his people. The Holy Son of Heaven became our unholy transgressions, the unholy sin of an enemy people. And, and, and not just that, by his sinless life, Jesus gives to all who believe the door, the way back in to the one family, the entrance for outsiders and enemies to join his people. By his garment of righteousness, you can enter and live. By his death, he becomes the door for all of the nations to enter. And so this speaks not just to the nations, what God is doing at this, this huge cosmic universal global level. This also speaks to you as an individual. By birth and by nature, you're children of wrath. You're from an enemy nation. Enemy peoples, all of us. And, and the sad thing is, church membership, it can't change that. That's just superficial. You need blood. You need his blood of cleansing from guilt. You need his blood that will give you a new family line inside yourself. You need blood union with him for your adoption. You need blood union with him for your new citizenship. And so the the question for all of us, whether you're a child or whether you're retired, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you confess that you're on the outside and you need to come in? That you're a, a sinner and that you need Jesus to be your righteous covering? And this speaks to you not just as individuals, this speaks to you if you live in a divided family or if you live in a divided nation. Maybe you, the state of your life is you're in a cold war. Maybe the, 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 the missiles aren't flying and the bullets aren't flying, but you're in a cold war. The hostility is there and it's solidified and it's in, it's, it's, it's in steel and in concrete. You're in a cold war with someone and it's gone on for years. You're divided from each other. And, and maybe, maybe there are some steps that you need to take. Maybe you need to leave your gift at the altar, go to them, and be reconciled, as Jesus teaches. But maybe, maybe you've already taken all of those steps, and you've done it half a dozen times. You've taken all the steps to be reconciled, but they will not have it. They will not, if it's, if it's a sin on their part, they will not repent. They will not change. They will not turn. And so they will not be reconciled to you. And sometimes that means, maybe because of your own hard heart, but sometimes maybe because of the other person's hard heart. You can't be reconciled and you can't be restored today as much as you would love to see that happen. Well, here's hope for you. If you're a Christian, there is a day of reunion. You are headed for a day of reunion when, when the enemy nations and the enemy peoples become one once again, when, when they all surround Jesus Christ in joy and in love for him and for each other. Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and 
before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. That's a picture of all of the nations standing there, all the peoples, all the different languages. He will gather the divided peoples back together. And that will be the day when all of the hurtful words are done. When we will lay down our arms, our weapons, before the Prince of Peace. When some who are enemies become brothers and sisters and friends again. And all of this is good news. Now, this, this has implications not just for your own situation. This has implications for, for ministry. This has implications for missions. God is poor, has, has poured out his spirit to unite enemy people of the world. He's gathering in. But to accomplish that gathering in, there's one more scattering, one more spreading out that needs to happen. It's a scattering that unites. Jesus, if you are a believer, Jesus sends you out outside of your borders, outside of where you are comfortable. Jesus is sending you to enter places that are foreign to you, people and places that feel strange and uncomfortable, unfamiliar, maybe to people who are richer, maybe to people who are poorer, maybe to people who seem like they're more pulled together and stable, maybe to people who seem less stable, and more topsy-turvy. Jesus sends you to go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus tells you, if you're a believer, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the question for you is, are you willing? Are you willing to go to other people just in your own city, to a different zip code, to a different subculture in the same tidewater where we all live? Are you willing to go with the gospel, not just to other cultures, but also to other countries? Are you willing? He's scattering you. He's sending you out so that he can gather in all of the nations that are divided. And so Acts 2, 8, and we close with this. When God poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost, all these people from all these different nations were shocked at this next step in the unfolding of God's plan to bring in all of the divided nations. They said when they saw God's people filled with the Spirit, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Can you go and tell someone about the wonderful works of God? Let's pray. Lord, we see this global picture that it's, it's really more than we with our finite minds can, can really all hold together. But we see that, that 
people, all of us sons and daughters of Noah, all of us made in the image of God, were scattered through the world. And you have made the beautiful diversity of all the nations. But by our sin and the devil's handiwork, these many nations are divided. And we sense that at the the national level and the interpersonal level. But we also see that Jesus Christ is the one reconciling, working for the reconciliation, reconciliation of all humanity. And truly, he is the savior of the world. And he's our savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us to be ambassadors of, of the great reconciliation that Jesus Christ has established and is working out to completion. Would you put on our hearts a hope to enter into this? And, and let us not be held back by fear or by, by discouragement, but we, would you empower us by your spirit and make us to be agents that live and bring peace wherever we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.